1: Very well. Thank you for taking the time today. My pleasure. My pleasure. So Rachel Blumenfeld of um, Erdberliss, tell us about what it is you do.
2: So I am an estates and trusts group at Erdberliss. We're actually, our group is part of a bigger tax group, which has about 29, maybe even 30 at this point, lawyers in the tax group. And our smaller area, we do estate planning, uh, a lot of working with trusts, so will planning, will drafting, powers of attorney, and as well, the end of the day, state administration. So get involved in in all of that those aspects. And in terms of on the tax side, I get involved where there's we're doing uh, what we call estate freezes for mm-hmm. for families, for business owners. I usually do the the trusts that get set up at the time of those kinds of, of transactions and work closely with the tax people who on
1: those. So we're gonna circle back to some of those topics. But basically I brought you on to kind of do a one-on-one on what business owners need to know about estate planning. So simple synopsis, I always say estate planning is all about making sure that what you have goes where you want it to with as little pain Mm -hmm. and taxation as possible. Hopefully you're going to have some of that, but hopefully you can minimize it. But let's talk about what's involved in that process. So basically what's typically the impetus for the conversation getting started in your experience?
2: So I find people come to us or come back to us when there's been a change in their life circumstance. A lot of times people will come if a parent or other close family member has passed away and they're now thinking about doing their own planning. This time with the pandemic, Has been extremely busy, and I know across the Mm -hmm. board in Toronto and other colleagues, every we're all we're all pretty busy. I think people are starting to get concerned, whether it's about doing wills, doing estate planning. There, you know, maybe there's been a change in the value of some of their assets, and they want to take advantage of that. And also, people are worried about things around care. We've heard a lot about what happens, has been happening in the care homes and, and, you know, get people coming in and saying, I definitely don't want this or I want that. And and you have to, you want to make sure that that's drafted properly. So we're doing, spending, I think, more time on powers of attorney than we used to.
1: Yeah. There's never, there's nothing like a um, global crisis or world right. event that reminds you of mortality <laughs> to make you uh, do the estate yeah. plan. I remember the number of people after 9 11 who basically started getting their wills mm. updated. It it's was, uh,
2: exactly, yeah.
1: substantial. So, let's talk about uh, the documents involved in putting one of these together. So an estate plan is really not just about, I don't want to make people think that it's about documents. Like that is the product. The planning around that is so much more important, but let's talk about the check boxes of the product. We'll get into some planning concepts. Yeah.
2: So usually, and and it's, it's a process. So even though you may end up with a couple of documents at the end of the day, or a lot of documents at the end of the day, they're documents that have to get revisited and revised and reviewed every couple of years. So typically you'll have, especially if the impetus is concern about a will or whatever, you'll we'll prepare wills, we'll prepare powers of attorney for clients. In Ontario, we worry about not just the federal income tax that occurs on death, but also the probate fees or probate taxes, mm-hmm. it's called the state administration tax that can arise. And it's it's a small percentage compared to, you know, capital gains tax or compared to a tax on your RIF or your RSP. But it's a it's a tax that can actually be managed fairly easily. So usually rather than just ending up with one will, you'll end up with two wills. One that deals with assets that would require probate for an executor to be able to deal with them. For example, investment accounts that are owned directly, real estate that's owned directly, but anything that's in a corporate private company that generally can be dealt with without probate. So uh, an executor can have the directors transfer those assets without having to probate the will. So what we do is we carve those assets out and we deal with them in a separate will that ends up not getting probated. So you're saving one and a half percent of the value of an estate on those assets.
1: And just some background there. I mean, my understanding mm-hmm. is that if a single there's a there's a list of assets that have to be probated according mm-hmm. to law, and if a single asset on a will has to be probated, the entire will has to be probated. So there, that's right. why we have All the assets. exactly yeah. so we can group them into probatable versus non-probatable, and it's nothing on the first fifty thousand in Ontario now, and one point right. five thereafter, and one point five is not a big number. But if we yeah. start getting into like businesses of, of multiple millions of dollars, I'll use a round number of a big round number of 10 million. You mm-hmm. know, now, now we're starting to talk about $150,000, yeah. which the cost of a secondary will is take a couple zeros off of that. Yeah, <laughs> it, It's, yeah. Uh, you know, people and business owners often said to me, like, why do we need two wills? I said, well, this is one of the highest mm-hmm. ROIs as a financial advisor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> your, your oh, I, like that. I haven't thought of it that way, yeah, but yeah. And it's it's actually ago. more than just the cost of probating. I mean, there's there's the fee that you're paying to the government. There's the cost that you're paying to the lawyers, or you know, whoever's preparing the the documents. And there's also the time, the time factor, because it's taking. There is, I know there are. There are changes coming down from the provincial government to try to speed up the probate process, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, gonna be, it's always a couple of months. So if you've got assets that you need to access you want to have them in that corporate vehicle because you can mm-hmm. you can do that. So it could be even a property that's held in a in a corporation as a bear trust that So we're gonna
1: come back to bear trust. Yeah,
2: well I know. So some <laughs> something we've some talked about. Before. But, let's do some more fundamental yeah. stuff here. Okay. But, so so it's so it is a time, it's also a timing thing, not just the mm-hmm. the cost.
1: Of, Absolutely fees. And the work, right? I mean, if you don't have to go through probate, you don't have to go through all of that. So that makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So let's talk about what has to be probated and what doesn't have to be probated.
2: Okay. So it really depends on the transfer agent. So mm-hmm. what I mean by that is the bank, the financial institution, or the, you know, the land land registry office, what do they require in order to to deal with the executor? So what the probated will does is it gives that transfer agent comfort that they're dealing with the right person or people or entity that even if down the road, another will comes to light that has a different executor. If they've been dealing with the executor that's named in the, the, it's called a certificate of appointment, they're covered. So it gives the banks and the, you know, the other financial institutions comfort with that. So it's not necessarily that there's a legal requirement. It's a lot of times it's a risk Requirement with the institution. With real estate, it's, I think it's more of a legal. Requirement that they you can't transfer real estate most real estate in Ontario without without a probated will. There's a couple of exceptions,
1: right? And, and it makes sense. A will is just a pile of documents with some signatures at the end of it, right? Without some sort of government appointment mm-hmm. appointment authorization to say, yeah, yeah, we recognize this is valid, right? Those institutions bear the risk, right? So this is like yeah. risk mitigation of them. Yeah. So those are so those are cases that have a transfer agent. Like so, what would typically fall outside of what something that needs to be probated?
2: So if Under a will, a person is leaving all of their personal effects, their jewelry, their artwork, to their kids. The kids aren't going to need probate in order to get those transferred to them. So those kinds of assets. And the other, the big one and the main one that we, uh, and the one that really drives a lot of this process are shares of private companies. So it's especially where it's a family business, you know, there's, it's closely held. Not a lot of shareholders. You'll have the directors, the, and the directors may end up being the executors. They're comfortable that they're dealing with the right people. They're comfortable that the will is what it is, and and mm-hmm. and they will then transfer the shares to the estate without having to probate the will. You can get into issues with that, and I've we've had that where you know we've done planning, and they there were two wills, and the you know the corporate assets were dealt with in what we call the secondary will. And then the husband dies in the middle of a sale to a third party. Mm. And there, you know, that gets a little bit tricky. So it's, it doesn't, you know, I I always tell people it doesn't, this is how it works. You could end up with it not working properly, but it generally, uh, generally goes very smoothly.
1: Well, that and that's generally kind of a rule, right? Like we, we set these things off, and hopefully they work. And if anyone tries to challenge them, they will hold up. But at the end of the day, life happens, right? And and things <laughs> can go sideways, and laws change, yeah. and people get unhappy about their lot. It's it's there's there's lots of issues there. So uh, you, the you, other
2: thing that uh, I always remind people is this works today in Ontario. There are other provinces that have high probate fees, same based on value, and it doesn't work, and they because they yeah. they deal with you know, the way they deal with things is different.
1: Yep. And it's um, not just that. I mean, Every now and then the rules change on us, whether mm-hmm. that be through legislation yes. or through some unfortunate court rulings, which almost threw out everyone in the country. <laughs> Somebody, yes. Yeah, yes, was, we
2: did have that a few oh, like, years ago.
1: Sometimes yeah. the they yeah, don't the, the court rulings don't go right. Um anyway. <laughs> so you touched upon something called the bear trust. So I'm gonna be I mean, yeah. you the leading question here. So okay. um, you know, this specifically has to do with when people own property. So let's call it recreational property, a, a, a cottage. Tell us or investment property. What is a bear trust and how can it help?
2: So a bear trust is, is like a nominee. It's essentially a company that goes on title just to hold as the legal title holder of the of that piece of property. The beneficial owner, the underlying real in quotes, if you, is still the person that owned it initially. So mm-hmm. my if I decide to, I'm going to do this with my house, I'm the, actually, my husband is the Legal and beneficial owner right now. Mm-hmm. We transfer it into 12345 Ontario Inc. That's what goes on title, but he remains the beneficial owner. And the way we demonstrate that is there's a declaration of trust, or sometimes it's a, an agreement, a nominee agreement that sort of stands behind the title that indicates that this person is still the beneficial owner. owner. So when we set this up, there's no land transfer tax. If it's a principal residence, it continues to be a principal residence. And then what happens is it's registered on title in the name of that company. When the person dies, again, as long as they have two wills, what the executor is dealing with is the underlying beneficial ownership. And that can get transferred without having having to have a probated will.
1: Yeah. So again, cool. just like we did before with the secondary will for the business, same basic principle here. And it's interesting that the entire concept of beneficial versus title versus legal ownership mm-hmm. will really play with people's heads, right? Like, And, and yeah. people sometimes don't get that. This is one yeah. of the, the issues that is core to disputes over, over joint accounts, right? Oftentimes, yes. we'll see people move accounts jointly to avoid probate. And frankly, sometimes that begs the question of, wait a sec, what was the intention here, right? Mm-hmm. Did they mean to give you this entire thing where they're just trying to avoid probate? And no, you do have to share it with your siblings, right? <laughs> so, yes. yeah. There's
2: lots, of, Like, I mean, there were a number of cases, I don't know, a decade or so ago now that went to the Supreme Court dealing with that. You know, we had a ruling, but it's they, it still happens. It goes on. It, there's monthly, every, every month, cases dealing with joint accounts oh. that get messed up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: or oh, you know, I joint know. assets. Yeah. It's funny. There was someone, someone posted this kind of warning story on LinkedIn. And my exact comment was, this is why all joint accounts should come with, with, uh, with legal disclaimers warning you of this risk, right? Like the number of times yeah. joint accounts have been a major issue in, in state litigation. is just, there's probably yeah. entire libraries full of these things. <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and, so, you know, what are you saving? You're saving one and a half percent. So that one and a half percent is easy to save but it also can create huge issues.
1: And, and this is the thing is the number of times i see people going through all these ho- obstacles and, and jumping through these hoops over the concept of like why well, you need to see the probate and then you point out like wait a sec, you you're trying to save the probate on like $100,000 <laughs> like you do realize that this is like 50,000 is 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 free is first free. of all so now you're talking about 1.5% like oh is that all and it's like they were going to go through all these all this stuff all these all these hoops that was going to create complexity in the estate plan to avoid that and it's just there are Sometimes I will say this much. People don't always agree with me. It's a good thing to be probated sometimes, right? Like, well,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, there are there are actually a couple of reasons you want probate. First is if there are other issues around, you want if you're the executor, you may want that piece of paper saying yes, mm-hmm. I'm the 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 executor. There are certain limitation periods that start only start to run once the probate has been issued. So the main one being dependent support claims. Against in the state, so yeah, there are reasons you might you might want probate. We I know you know we go to a lot of trouble to try to get out of it, but yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes,
1: yeah. just to just to throw your hands up in the air yeah. and say, you know what, one point five percent is worth it if it means that there's going to be a document that is that is fully that that is not going to be disputed more or less yeah. because we know it's the accurate document, it's stamped, and my kids understand the wishes, and therefore that's that's the end of it. So it's it's a little bit of assurance as opposed to some of the other tactics we see out there, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm going to throw a monkey wrench at all this and say, okay, <laughs> what what needs to happen? Like, let's just say that that this person, one of these people, is a American citizen. How does that change things?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. So hopefully, when you do the planning, you become aware. Like it's actually every lawyer that does estate planning now on their forms or whatever their intake forms will have a question: Are you a U.S. citizen? You know, are you a Citizen of any other country, and then specifically, are you a U.S. citizen? Are you a green card holder? And the reason for that is depending on who are we talking about. Are we talking about the executor? Are we talking about trustees? Well, know, actually, let's talk, about, let's talk about let's talk about all of it.
1: Let's talk about the deceased okay. person. How does this impact the deceased person? Then we can get onto executors and beneficiaries. and beneficiaries.
2: So, if the deceased was a U.S. citizen, that means they should have been filing U.S. tax returns their whole lives since they or since they were were adults if they, a lot of times you'll find, especially somebody who's a US person or US citizen, because their parents were, they may not have been filing. So then the executor really has an obligation to deal with that and, you know, Mm -hmm. go through, do they go through a process of bringing that up to date or whatever? Depends who you ask, but that's, I think the first, the first thing you have to think about. The other thing, and assuming then that they are filing in the U.S. and all up to date. The other issue becomes, are they subject to the U.S. estate tax, which... For a number of years, we haven't worried that much about because of the huge, very high exemption that yes. is available, about eleven and a half percent. Million, eleven and a half million. Sorry, eleven and half million was the year? election as of our as of this uh, in recording
1: in eight days? Okay. <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> so that may change. And that may change drastically in the next couple of years. So I know that when we talk to to clients who are U.S. citizens, and when we talk to U.S. lawyers who are doing these, this kind of planning, people are making the assumption that the that that exemption level is going to go way go way down, go back down to whether it's five million or I, when I first started, it was like hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, so you do have to be concerned about that. Now, the fact that you that the person is a resident of Canada is actually makes it a lot. Easier than if you're you were a resident of almost any other country and a U.S. citizen, and that's because of mm-hmm. the Canada-U.S. treaty. And there's certain aspects of our treaty that help uh, reduce that liability. So there's you can use foreign tax credits for the U.S. tax against the Canadian tax, or vice versa. You can have the essentially the way the exemption works is it's prorated. Mm-hmm. So if you're Worldwide right, estate is around the the level of the, what the exemption is. Likely, you, you know, you wouldn't have state tax. You still have to file a return, but you'll there'll be these back and forth foreign tax credits. And yep. so I, actually, I guess this last the last thing I was saying really if, is more affects not the U.S. citizens, but U.S. the testator, the deceased person who owned yeah. real estate or assets in the U.S. They have that exemption, exactly. um, so they you know you do have to look at all of all of those those issues.
1: And then where's the complication with if, if they're an executor, if you name an American citizen executor, specifically, let's just say they're actually make it the worst case scenario, they're in the
2: in US. In the US. So the first issue is if you need to probate that will, in Ontario, the executor is required to post a bond if they're mm-hmm. living somewhere other than Canada or a Commonwealth country. So that's a bit of a hassle. Usually the courts will waive the bond, but it's another sort of step in the probate process. So that's sort of your first hurdle. It's not terrible. You can get get past it. There's the convenience. There's somebody in the U.S., the estates here. I actually just had something where, well, t- there's t- uh, two situations with U.S. Re- citizen resident executors. In one case, she's she was the only child. She lives in the U.S. and she has to do it. So for her, for her, during this period, she's had to come to Canada, you know, around when her dad passed away, she was in quarantine for two weeks and then she, oh, only then she was able to start to deal with things. And now she has to, in order to ensure that the estate remains a Canadian estate, she has to come back when the, for the closing and, and that kind of stuff. The other situation can be with the bank, with banking, where there's certain types of assets that the deceased person owned. You can get into an issue whether the banks will, will deal with you if, you're in the, if you have a U.S. A US address. So mm-hmm. there's those kinds of complications. On the U.S. side, you'll have, my understanding is you may have reporting in the U.S. Mm-hmm. because you are now got control over a non-U.S. account. So you yeah, have so, FR reportings in the U.S. Yeah, and they may
1: see it as, they may deem it to be a trust that's taxable in the U.S. I uh, suppose to can because you're in control of it. And mm-hmm, even so much mm-hmm. as, believe it or not, if that person becomes deceased before the, the estate is distributed, it could actually be technically included on their estate and return their estate, as yeah. well. So it is a hornet's nest of issues yeah. besides the convenience. But,
2: you know, on the other hand, I've had situations where there really is nobody else. The kids all yeah. live in the U.S. The kids are inheriting everything, you know, then. So it's sort of a you have to really weigh the yeah. situation each time.
1: Yeah. In those cases, I think it's, you know, where, where they're basically the kids are going to inherit everything and they're all in the states. I mean, fair play. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. There's no real negative there, whereas the issue is when you have some trustee that or executor who's. In the U.S. and the beneficiaries are in Canada, there can be negative implications in those instances.
2: Yeah, there can be tax issues and cross-border investment issues, that kind of thing. Yeah.
1: And aggravation. Let's <laughs> just be. Aggravation. aggravation. Yeah. Yep.
2: And not being able so, to get across the border. Right yeah, during COVID, yeah, it's a big yeah. issue. It's uh, yeah. it's not.
1: So one of the things you touched upon briefly, and we touched upon it previously on the show before, but I want to go back over it. Uh, is the concept of an estate freeze? So let's go Ooh. over what that is Ooh. and how it benefits uh, business owners.
2: So essentially, what a freeze does is you figure out what the value, determine what the value of an of a a business is at a particular time. The business owner, the the founder, for you know, and this I'm sort of just giving you the the standard example that we we often Mm -hmm. see. The founder says, "I want to. That's enough for me. That hundred million dollar business that keeps on growing. That's enough." I'll keep my $100,000 and the future growth can go to my kids. And what you're doing,
1: million, but that, yes, and it must okay. be nice for continuing. 100 million.
2: 100 million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah I mean, my numbers are off a bit today. So 100 million and my kids can get the future growth. But what I'm doing with that is I'm fixing my tax liability on debt. So I'm saying, mm-hmm. I am whatever the tax is going to be on that growth up until now. I'm going to, def- I'm going to, that'll get paid at my, uh, on my death, but that's it. I'm sort of stopping the, that from running. We're
1: freezing. Freezing <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> exactly. So what you end up with is the parents, for example, end up owning the current value, the kids, or more likely the trust for the kids holds the future growth. And you've pushed out that tax bill on that future growth to the next generation. So we've actually been doing quite a, a lot of that kind of work now because, to some extent, the values may be a bit lower because of COVID, and so this may be a good time to get a valuation, to do the freeze, to sort of f- again fix that tax on death. At, yeah, uh, I had a couple of
1: conversations where people were just not ca- not getting the counterintuitiveness of this. They're like, uh, "Well, I should be doing this when I'm doing well." I'm like. No, you should be doing this when you're not doing well, because if the goal is to minimize or to fix the the tax liability on your death and you're leaving shares to your, or giving shares to your children, like the reality is, is that we're just, you know, if you recover post-COVID and you're doing really well, that's Mm -hmm. just money that's taxed in their name, not yours. And it's all legit.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a, you know, I think you raise an interesting point, Why, You know, what that counterintuitiveness is, is that, well, you still want to make sure there's going to be enough there for you (laughs) And your kids aren't uh, entitled to way more than you, than you are, perhaps. Yeah. Um, there, you know, there's really a,
1: there's a threshold of wealth, right? Yeah. Like there's a threshold of wealth. You're not going to do this when you, oh, look, I've, you know, the, the capital gains exemption, for instance, right? It's sitting mm. at um, 868,000 yeah. roughly something right now. So, I mean, the temptation is always to say, okay, well, I can freeze it around here. Well, maybe that makes sense, but it depends, right? If we're talking about passing on to the next generation versus maybe to a spouse, passing on to the spouse, not, not a big deal. But the next generation, it's like, well, that's growth you're never going to have. And is the eight hundred sixty-eight thousand tax-free enough money to plan mm-hmm. out your retirement, for right. instance? Right. The answer is going to be no in most cases, yeah. right? So yeah, it's it's all relative. So makes sense and when there, it makes sense.
2: And there are, you know, there are tax. You have to be careful when you do them. You, there are tax mm-hmm. issues that have to mm-hmm. be dealt with. You have to look at who your beneficiaries are. Is there a, a U.S. citizen in the mix? Is it, you know, is, did one of the kids? marry an American and now there's half a dozen American grandchildren. And then those situations, you really have to ensure that there's US advice. Oh,
1: that is putting it lightly. Uh, Yeah. It's amazing how much US tax code screws everybody else in the world. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, I mean, we've covered some decent ground. We've talked about how, you know, the need for dual wills, at least in some mm-hmm. jurisdictions like Ontario, we've talked about how probate works. We talked about estate freezes and the implications of U.S. citizens and bear trust. That's a fair amount of mm-hmm. ground to cover. Sure. Is there any kind of like general advice that you feel you want to give like to business owners when when looking at this kind of planning?
2: Sure. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things when you're starting to do the planning that you want to keep in mind. One big one is who the executors should be. Who are the people or institutions or entities that are able to step into your shoes, deal with, especially if it's a, you're dealing with a corporate, you know, family business Mm -hmm. can step in and, and really ensure this, that it continues smoothly or is able to sell the business and, you know, you really need to look at family dynamics and whether there's you know that you're dealing with a second family, a blended family, you know, second marriages, third marriages, whatever it is, those issues have to really be addressed and they have to you have to be straight with your advisors, you know, if the if you know that one of your kids has an addiction problem, mm. you got to tell me. <laughs> I don't know that. You know, you come into my office, I don't know Everything I try, you know, I think in any estate lawyer is going to try to probe and get information, but there's, you know, sometimes there's some hesitancy, but you really have to be prepared to, to really open up and deal with, talk about those kinds of issues. Cause we all, you know, we then see when it doesn't work out, when things have been missed and I have to go down the hall and get my estate litigation partners involved because just not, it's not going to go smoothly.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We actually have a full disclosure policy that we actually put into our our letters of engagement with clients. We tell them before we bring them on, like, look, we're going to ask a lot of personal stuff and we want—we need to know. And we're not not—not—not not that I, trust me, I, I do not enjoy hearing about the negative things in people's lives, mm-hmm. but I can't help you fix them without it. And it's really, I actually just had this conversation today with someone who reached out to me. Um, I had sent them to another advisor because um, there were prospects to another advisor because they weren't quite a fit for what I did. They needed a really specialized need. They came back yeah. saying, well, they're asking me for all this personal info. And I said, well, Yes, because I would do the exact same thing. I did that, and, like, yeah. You know, here's five examples of how like without knowing everything it can go wrong. So yeah, it's it's funny because we're we're often told to protect our personal information and not disclose stuff. But when mm-hmm. it comes to your advisors, you really gotta open up. Otherwise, they can't help you. Yeah. And if you think estate planning is expensive, try doing it two or three times because you didn't disclose it properly. <laughs> right,
2: right. Yeah. Or, I mean, I know you'll be dead, but try doing the litigation, dealing with the litigation oh, afterward.
1: <laughs> and well, it just- there's, yeah, there, there's no worse way to destroy your dynamic, the, the family dynamics after you're gone than to leave a, a messy estate behind. Because it is, I've literally had people say to me, clearly my parent did not give a damn about us because they couldn't be bothered to prevent us from blowing up afterwards by simply putting a document together. It's terrible. But you know what, though? I will say the counterpoint to that is everyone, when they're done, once they're done, they feel a lot better about it being done, don't they? Yeah, yeah. that's true. Excellent. That is true. Well, Rachel, thank you very much uh, for thank this. I really, much, sure. very much appreciate it. We covered a, f- a fair amount of ground and complex ground pretty quickly. But uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out?
2: So I am at Aaron Burles on the internet, Rachel Blumenfeld. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll be sure to I... <laughs> include a link in the show notes. Okay. Nice. Great. Perfect. Thank you so okay. much for your time.
0: Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonpereira.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.